You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Kush Parikh and Corey Johnson. Be sure to check us out weekly every Monday and Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds, that's K-N-O-W-S bleeds, on Instagram at the nosebleeds, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds Podcast. That's K N O W S Bleeds. It's your boy. You already know it's your boy Kush, and I'm here with my co host, Mr. Corey Johnson. Corey, how are you doing this weekend after a boatload of sports back? Uh, I'm doing great, man. Uh, it's good to see sports back. Uh, we just came off like a lot of baseball, uh, some major trade news. Man, it's just a lot going on right now. And we got the NBA coming back this uh, this week. So it's a lot. It's a lot going down, and I'm really excited for it. But hopefully I'm just hoping that everybody stays safe so that we can enjoy the sports. Yeah, it finally feels like we're getting some sort of normalcy back to the sports world. But let's start off with on this day, July 27th in 1998. Sammy Sosa hits his first Grand Slam, establishing the mark for most career homers before hitting a Grand Slam, and that was 246 home runs. And the next day, Sammy Sosa would hit another Grand Slam, becoming the 18th major leaguer to hit Grand Slams on consecutive days. And speaking of Grand Slams, I mean, the Angels were on the wrong side of Grand Slams when Matt Olson hit a walk-off Grand Slam on opening day to beat the Halos 7-3 to in the 10th inning. I mean, so far, the Angels have had a really rough start to their new season. I mean, first, talk about that walk-off, and then Shohei Otani, the, the high expectations for his return, and he had a rough start it was the third game against the Oakland A's it was his first time pitching in a real game in 693 days and his line to end the day was zero innings pitched he did not record a single out three hits five earned runs three walks in 30 pitches and he faced only six batters and Joe Madden took him out his ERA is sitting at infinity right now but (laughs) I mean Corey that start from Shohei Otani how concerned are you about Otani's struggle do you think that he'll be fine are you slightly worried or do you think there should be an emergency alarm going off right now if you're an Angels fan it is the first game that he's pitched and so you know coming off Tommy John and also this whole you know pandemic as well like I don't know. I I just felt like it's not unusual to see him uh, a, a stat line like that. Um, it's not obviously a stat line that you want to see if you're the Angels, obviously, or an Angels fan. But I think it's something that you kind of aren't too heavily concerned about unless this starts to become a recurring trend. If you're starting to see every single outing, he's putting up something close to this level of performance then that's kind of when you have to start thinking about like maybe he's just not got the right stuff and maybe he just needs to get, you know, maybe uh, some bullpen uh, time and get taken out of the rotation. But overall, I think um, this probably was the best thing that could happen to him as far as uh, a comeback and uh, uh, just, just getting, you know, maybe hit back into reality or snap back into reality a bit. And, and kind of understanding that, like, yo, pitching in the major leagues is really hard. <laughs> pitching against major league hitters is not an easy feat. Yeah, I mean, first of all, there was a lot of hype coming into this game for his first start in almost 700 days. And, I mean, if if you're, like, not only from Angel fans and the organization, I think just in the MLB in general, fans and other players, they were just, like, all eyes were on Shohei Otani because we haven't seen – this two-way phenomenon in Otani pitch an actual game in so long. So he had a gigantic weight on his shoulders already. And then coming up even against a stacked Oakland lineup that they are, I, it was tough for Otani. He was struggling the entire time to just find his location, his fastball, his curveball. And he didn't even throw his splitter, which is his splitter. He's known for striking out a lot of guys. And 
it kind of it doesn't come as a surprise because in the inner squad game, his first that he threw in summer camp, he faced 10 batters and walked eight of them. So, I mean, the struggles were there in the inner squad games as well too, but he eventually got his confidence and his footing back and he started to play better. I think like the next game he faced 10 batters again, he struck out four. He only walked like one, I believe, or something like that. So he got better as it progressed. So in terms of his command and finding his location, I think he will get better, especially since you're coming back from an a injury like Tommy John, which is probably the worst injury you can get in baseball. So, I mean, in that regards, I'm not worried. The part that worries me the most is the fact that he lost about six to seven miles an hour off his fastball. I mean, he was throwing about 99 to 100 miles an hour and this this past game on Sunday, he was his fastball was averaging around ninety three miles an hour. So I mean, normally when players come back from Tommy John, they throw faster, but in this case, he was throwing a lot slower. But I think that's because uh, uh, Joe Madden came out and he said in an interview that it's probably because he has a mental block, which is understandable. But in this season you can't really have mental blocks. You kind of got to get over that hump ASAP. Otherwise you blink and you'll find yourself looking outside into the playoffs. No, I agree with you because the 60 game season has made it just so much more like emphasis on like, if if you're going through a slump, you got to get out of it fast. And with the 162, you kind of have, a little bit more leeway and obviously no one wants to lose games. Nobody wants to, to have a bad day at the office or have a bad performance like Shohei had, but um, I'd rather it happen early on in the season than middle of the season or toward the end of the season when we're in a playoff push, when we're in the thick of it and we're trying to, to, to get into the postseason. Having it happen right now, I think, could allow him to 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 rediscover his confidence, maybe rediscover a a new way at a, a, a attacking attacking batters while he's on the mound, and just find different strategies. Because I mean, I, there's several different ways to get guys out, and there's uh, different types of, of of strategies to to take. And not, I, I think so many times like pitchers get into this this block where it's like I have to strike him out, I have to strike him out, I have to strike him out. They're just trying to, you know, throw something to get over the plate to get a strike versus maybe being a little bit more strategic and um, a batter by maybe going at some of his weak spots or maybe mixing it up a little bit or maybe not being so willing to throw the fastball so often or saving the fastball and, you know, changing up speeds just to give a guy a different look. So, I think Shohei will be fine. And I think that the Angels, um, you know, just had like a bad first series. But overall, I think like so far, it's still fairly early to 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 just start, you know, declaring that the wagon, that the wheels are falling off the wagon. Yeah. I mean, they still have another game today. Uh, they will be taking out or depending on when this episode comes out, they'll have already played or they'll be currently playing against the A's in their fourth game. And they won their game on Saturday and on Sunday, Mike Trout hit his first home run. So, I mean, that's good signs if you're an Angel fan. And then also Rendon has been missing. So, I mean, when he comes back, which he should be back next series, it's still have high hopes for the Angels lineup. But, um, but Otani, when – when he pitches, he normally gets the day off before and after the days he pitches, but he's going to be hitting today at DH again. Well, let's move on. We have some breaking news with the Miami Marlins. Eight more players and two coaches tested positive for COVID-19, totaling 13 cases in recent days. Their Monday night home opener against Baltimore Orioles has been canceled and the team remains in Philadelphia. And since the since the they just played the Phillies, the Yankees and Phillies game today will also be postponed as well. And they're talking about even postponing the game tomorrow as well. So, I mean, this is about a third of the roster for the Miami Marlins that are out with COVID-19. I mean, how surprised are you by this news, Corey? Um, I believe that the Marlins even said that they weren't all too shocked by this or that overall, I think you kind of expected something like this to happen. 
to where, and we've seen it like not only with just the Marlins, but we've seen it in sports all around. Like we've seen in MLS, like teams having to pull out of the MLS uh, welcome back tournament because damn near the whole team got hit with COVID or at least a good chunk of the team got hit with COVID. And so what you do, I think going forward with that is a critical thing. And it's good that uh, the games like the Yankees and the Phillies are canceling uh, today's game and potentially tomorrow's game, just so that way they can potentially sanitize the ballpark, the dugouts, and be able to make sure that the players themselves are uh, not testing positive for COVID. But this was something that I think was unfortunately going to be one of those risks that we mentioned about before the season even started. And one of those things that you had to keep in mind that, yes, baseball is back, but it's not as if COVID doesn't exist. I mean, uh, the coronavirus is still very much out there. And if you are, you know, traveling or if you are uh, mixing in or mixing around like several different people, you can run the risk of coming into contact with somebody who has it, whether you know it or not, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it was only a matter of time that I thought this would happen because you're not in a bubble like the NBA or the MLS is, and you're also traveling state to state, um, I mean, probably twice a week. And, I mean, in a country that has the most cases and the most deaths in the entire world, I mean, due to poor leadership in the country's leader, whatever it may be, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm surprised at all that this has happened. And, I mean, I don't know about you, but, I mean, I'm – there is some concern about the continuation of this MLB season. What about you, Corey? Um, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. Um, of course, you get excited when you see opening day or you see the opening week and you're seeing balls leave the yard. You're seeing guys, you know, throwing the ball. And, you know, you're just, you're just seeing baseball. You get, you get excited by seeing that. And you get excited by the knowledge that games are back. But at the same time, um, this news does put a huge perspective on things and puts you and snaps you back into reality that like it's it's not as if things are quote unquote back to normal quite yet because you know there's a reason that fans aren't in the stands there's a reason that um the season took so long to even get started and you know obviously the, the negotiation process was the negotiation process but obviously one of the reasons the season took so long was because of COVID-19. And so I just think overall, the only way that the season is going to continue to progress forward is if there is some sort of protection for the players or there's some, some, some sort of, they have to make the, I think some sort of way so that when they're, either traveling or when they're interacting with uh, other people, the players and the staff members, that it's not, it's, it's, it's somewhat contained, but like you said, they're, they're not in a bubble. They're not doing hub cities like the NHL, which matter of fact, speaking of the NHL, they just confirmed that they have zero COVID cases before they get their seasons restarted. So big shout out to the NHL. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's tough when you kind of are not, limiting the or or keeping things to just one or two cities or you're only keeping it to uh just like a limited location and you're kind and you're having travel and you're having teams play in their home ballparks and it's always going to be difficult but um this is the current situation and this is what the MLB negotiated and decided that they were going to do but overall, if you're thinking that this is going to be the only time where we see a team struggle with COVID cases, uh, I, 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 I don't want it to happen. But unfortunately, in my mind, I feel like this is going to happen again, where you're going to see another team have a lot of players test positive. Yeah, fully agree with you right there, especially since if you look at the number on Friday, 
the Marlins tested only one tested positive on Sunday, three Marlins tested positive, and then on Monday, seven Marlins tested positive. So by the sounds of it, it sounds like it's starting to spiral out of control. And I mean, if you think about it, play the batters, pitchers, they're playing games damn near every day. And when they're not playing games, they're in coming to the training facility to either get batting practice in or to get stretched or rehab after a start. And I mean, that means that even if you get COVID tested, you won't know until 24 hours later, but within those 24 hours, you're being exposed to your teammates. You're being exposed to your coaching staff and even opposing teams if you're playing a game that day. So, I mean, it's definitely fearful that it could spread just like this. I mean, we've seen it with the numbers in the U.S., how much it's spreading in California, in New York, in Florida. And I mean, looking, even if you look back, like the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization, they started back up in May and they haven't had a single positive test come up. And I mean, it could be because they're a lot, lot more cautious because as soon as one player tests positive, the entire league shuts down for two weeks, even if it's just one person in the entire league. So it's like they don't want to put not only themselves or their team at Jeopardy, but the entire league and the fan base at Jeopardy as well, too. So, I mean, I don't know. It's not something that I can see MLB being willing to do, just shut down uh, play for two weeks just because – either one player or a team has some, some positive cases. Business will continue on as usual until it's like, like you said, spiraling out of control and like another team gets the same sort of reaction that the Marlins did and another and another and another until it's like, we don't want to, you know, have this trend to continue to where half the league has COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, and and the MLB has a 113-page protocol, but I don't think anything of this magnitude could – they, they're prepared for something like that for sure. It's, it's definitely different viewing, you know, what's on paper and what is reality. So yeah. we're hoping I mean, and we're praying that uh, people are taking the precautions and people are doing what they need to do in order to stay safe. And wearing the, the mask. Players, players and the staff and – uh, all the, that are involved with MLB are doing the best that they can in order to, you know, uh, just just play the game, but also bear in mind that uh, their health and their safety and everything of that nature is 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 more important than playing baseball. Yeah. David Price even came out on Twitter. He tweeted something like that. It's like, you'd think that that's what the MLB is saying. That should be their priority, but something spread a lot of control like this. Well, I mean, we haven't heard anything from Ron Banfred yet. And it's been what, maybe eight hours, seven hours since we got this uh, info. So, so far it's just two games, maybe a third that is being postponed, but the rest of the league is continuing. And as a fan, that's what you love to hear. But as a player, that definitely has to be a concern. Yeah, it's definitely in the uh, in the forefront and in, in the back of your mind every single time you step out on the field. Right. And I mean, like you said in a previous episode as well, the main pair of eyes that is going to be on the MLB is the NFL because of the similarity of the seasons that they're trying to have, not having that bubble, but being able to travel from home stadium to home stadium. And so far in the NFL, six players have been on the injured list slash COVID list already. That doesn't necessarily mean they tested positive, but it's they were exposed to others that have tested positive. So they're kind of in precautions right yeah. now. Yeah. So, I mean, seeing what happened, what's going on with the MLB and how things eventually may transpire, how concerned should you be if you're the NFL and if you're a player in the NFL? Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? Uh, I think the NFL doesn't want a situation where it's Sunday and uh, fans are getting ready to watch the games and then boom, it's like, well, sorry, can't watch the games because the team tested positive and they can't play. So it's, it's, it's just going to be a situation where I personally think that uh, one of the things that I wish that MLB and, and the NFL could do is, is 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 do something similar of like the the hub cities or or have a bubble but it's just unfortunate like you can't you know those sports like it's it's totally different it's not like mm-hmm. you can just build like 
several different football fields <laughs> or several different baseball fields <laughs> in order to <laughs> be able to have several different teams play simultaneously. So it's, it's just an unfortunate situation. But um, if, if guys are going to play and, and, and business is going to continue like it has been in the NFL and in the MLB, this is the type of thing that so many guys were talking about when they decided to opt out. And so many different players had the concern about and were talking about. And it felt as initially in the NBA, like nobody was paying attention to, man, maybe some guys don't want to play, or maybe this is something that is just too much to deal with right now, because it's like, I don't want to not only put, myself or my teammates at risk but what about my family because everybody talks about like somebody testing positive for it or after somebody was able to come through it or get over it but what about the lasting effects of COVID like we don't know what the lasting effects of coronavirus is going to be we don't know how that could impact somebody like let's say uh, a player gets it and then like you know he uh recovers from it but then he has a child and then like they find out like the child has like some sort of respiratory problems because the 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 dad had coronavirus or something like that like it's just it's just kind of crazy that things are continuing on uh and you know guys are going out there but at the same time if you love something i understand that if you love something and you and you love it so much and you want to play and you want to go out there and do your job i understand being able to go out and risk uh risk it all and risk your health and being willing to sacrifice certain things because you love doing what you do yeah for sure and i mean on friday with the whole NFL and NFL PA, I mean, we've seen it with the NBA, the whole, and then especially with the MLB, with the whole players association and the league itself having so much conflict with even trying to come up with an agreement before they did the poll protocol thing. But in the NFL's case, that has not been a problem because on Friday, the NFL PA approved of the NFL's plan to allow for the season to move forward to the September 10th start. Um, which the league held a meeting with coaches, general managers, presidents, and ownership on Friday. And it concluded with the teams approving new training camps, roster rules, protocols for operations during the the pandemic. Um, And the NFLPA uh, voted to adopt this proposed change from the collective bargaining agreement by a count of 29 to three. But on Friday night, Kansas City Chiefs right guard Laurent Duvernay-Tardif became the first player to publicly say that he's opting out this season before training camp even started. And uh, the Chiefs were quick to replace him with 31-year-old guard Kalecki Osemli. And Osemli is a two-time pro bowler and was named to first-team All-Pro just to, uh, on, in 2016. So just when you thought the Chiefs, you know, the NFL would catch a break from the Chiefs, they go ahead and sign a pretty damn good replacement. Yeah, but I think uh, one of the things is like, will this have a ripple effect of uh, du- Duvernay Tardif? Uh, even though he is like, obviously, because that those were the positions that I was thinking, like linemen, guys that are on the D line, offensive line. You're having so much contact with another person, and so much touching and physical, you know, and you're in the pileups and you know all that stuff. So as far as physical contact goes, you are going to be making a lot of physical contact if you are on on either the O or defensive line. So those are the guys that I was more so thinking, like, that makes sense that, you know, uh, with him being a right guard, I I mean, that makes total sense to me that uh, he wasn't willing to to, want to play this season. And I'm just wondering if other guys are thinking maybe the same thing and who's going to be the next person and will this be a lasting trend? Will a star player decide that they don't want to play uh, and opt out? So those are the type of things that I was looking at when uh, he made, when the news broke about uh, his decision. Yeah, will definitely be interesting to watch for. I mean, the NFL is going to be doing daily tests for the first part, but as once obviously um, 
results, positive results start to go down and it's at a very minuscule level, I think they're going to do it every other day, the testing. But like the Marlins, it can literally be one 24-hour time period that could spike uh, a whole team and screw them over. But let's move on. We had some very, very, very big news this past weekend in the NFL world, and it was because of a blockbuster trade. Jamal Adam getting shipped from the New York Jets to Seattle for a big haul of draft picks and a player. So basically, the Jets traded their all-pro safety, Jamal Adams, and a fourth-round pick in 2022 to the Seahawks and received safety Bradley McDougal, the Seahawks 2021 and 2022 first-round pick, and their 2021 third-round pick. This trade is pending on Jamal Adams' physical with the Seahawks, which he is heading to Seattle on Monday to do so. But let's start off with the obvious question that every single person is asking. Who won the trade, Corey? Um, I'm not, I'm, it's, it's, I don't want to say they won, but just looking at the Jets' perspective, you have a player in Jamal Adams – who it was no secret whatsoever that he was unhappy, whether it was unhappy about the contract that he had, unhappy about being on a losing team, unhappy about the head coach. He mentioned Adam Gase. Maybe he wasn't the leader for this team and saying that he was unsure if he was the right guy. Um, just I, all the things indicated to me that not only did Jamal Adams want to be traded, but he wanted to get out of <laughs> New York by any means necessary. Because once you start, once he started to talk about Adam Gase, I was like, the man ain't even, <laughs> the man ain't even traded yet, and he's already firing shots at the head coach. I mean, call it what you want, but I it's kind of smart on Jamal Adams part to start like poking because that way it kind of forces the Jets hands. It's like, dude, this guy is screwing us over and it's going to be terrible for the And he's ruining the trade value as he continues to just poke the bear, poke the bear, poke the bear. But looking at it from the Jets perspective, you had a player who didn't want to be there, who was disgruntled, wanted to be made the highest paid safety and, wanted, and and still had years on his contract. wasn't like he was in a situation where he's going into the last year of his contract. But like I said, he did not want to be there. And if somebody doesn't want to be there, you have to be willing to let them go. So, I mean, you look at the haul that they got. They got two first-round draft picks. Uh, and that's something that you look at two first-round draft picks for a safety in Jamal Adams – that is solid, and I think it, it helps them out. But at the end of the day, um, would you rather have had the talent of Jamal? Would you would you have liked to have had the talent of Jamal Adams on your team? Yes, but the attitude and 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 clearly the lack of wanting to be there—that's just something that you don't want to have in the locker room. And like I said. As far as team goes, you want to have guys who want to be there, want to be in the building. And what's crazy is that it seemed that Adams' now former teammate, Le'Veon Bell, had some words to say about this on Twitter, talking about pretty much how dudes want you to act a certain way but ain't (laughs) ain't about it. So... I understand Le'Veon Bell's frustration because I'm sure Jamal Adams being arguably the best player on that team was one of the reasons that he decided to go and sign with the Jets. And so now that he's on the Jets and Adams pretty much was like, look, get me the heck up out of here. <laughs> Le'Veon Bell's call, kind of That's what you call karma for what he did to the Steelers holding out potentially. I mean, I, I mean, you reap what you sow. So, I mean, Le'Veon Bell, I understand why he's frustrated. I understand he, he he said that he had conversations with Jamal Adams and that they talked and also CJ Mosley also, you know, was in conversations with Jamal Adams too. But I think overall, if if you look at it, Le'Veon Bell is coming at it from a perspective of, dude, you told me to come here. You were one of the people that were 
wanted me to be in the building and now all of a sudden you want to leave you want to get up out of here but he's not looking at it from when he was a stealer and when he was in the situation where he felt he deserved to be paid where he felt like he wasn't getting what he was worth and he which i which i do agree with levy on bell yeah so i mean if you felt like you weren't being paid what you felt like you were worth or felt like you were owed then you should not. I never, I never, I never felt he was a loser in the situation of him holding out because everybody talks about all the money that he lost. And it's like money doesn't, you have to understand it from a, a, a player's See, we talk about money from the perspective of us being like quote unquote normal, regular people. And we're like, dang, he lost it on millions of dollars and all this other stuff. It's like, yeah, okay. But if that's, if you're an NFL player, it don't matter. Like if, if, if I'm not happy, if I'm not satisfied, if I'm not feeling as if, I'm being valued for my talent or being valued as, as, uh, or being compensated the way that I want to, then what does it matter about the money that I'm losing out for one season? So I think Le'Veon Bell can't be too, uh, can't, can't talk about Jamal Adams in such a bad light or try to paint him in such a bad light on one hand when on the other he did the somewhat similar to the exact same thing. He wanted out of a team and they let him go. So that's why I'm saying like the jets, I don't want to say they necessarily won this trade, but look, you got rid of somebody who did not want to be there. And you were, and it didn't seem to me as if the jets were going to keep hold of this guy. And you already were taking calls about him last year. Anyway, there was rumors that they were shopping him at the deadline last year. And so I think that already set the groundwork for them potentially going to trade him. It just was a matter of when. And Adams kind of expedited that when he made the trade request, when he requested to be made uh, the highest paid safety or wanted to get the contract extension. He all, all, all that kind of just seemed to me as if he was still upset at the fact that they took calls at the deadline for him. Because he even said last season, or two seasons ago, you don't take calls for Tom Brady. And, you know, so I, I get his frustration, but hey, I hope he I hope he just understands that, like, look, you got what you wanted, but I hope the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah, I feel like in this situation, there was no loser, per se, but I'm going to say the winner is the Seahawks. That came, I think they're the ones that came out on top. I mean, they got Jamal freaking Adams. <laughs> I mean, you already explained the type of guy he is. He's only 24 years old, and, I mean, he can literally do anything and everything on the defensive side. Great in coverage, great at stopping the run, and very versatile player. I mean, just imagine Jamal Adams and Bobby Wagner in the box. <laughs> I do not want to run on that defense. Yep. That's kind of scary. But, I mean, they did give up a lot for him. But, I mean – even if they do give him that record-breaking deal, I, I still think it was worth getting a guy of Jamal Adams' magnitude. And, I mean, if they don't re-sign him, then we'll come revisit <laughs> of this whole conversation because that could potentially be different. But they gave up two first-round picks. But in Seahawks' drafting history, they're not known for making great picks in the first round. I mean, you go back to 2012. That was probably their last good first round pick that they made where they actually got a quote unquote stud Mm -hmm. or a guy who actually played up the expectations. And that was Bruce Irvin. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, unless their 2020 first round pick in linebacker, Jordan Brooks pops off in their recent history. I mean, LJ Collier, Rashad Penny, German Effendi. I mean, these guys haven't played up the expectations a first round pick would. And I mean, Seahawks are known. They're kind of like, the Patriots in a way that they find their studs and their stars in the later round. I mean, you look at 2019 DK Metcalf in the second round, 2018 Will Disley in the fourth round, 2017 Shaquille Griffin in the third round, Chris Carson in the seventh round, 2015 Frank Clark in the second round, Tyler Lockett in the third round. And then 2012, they had obviously Bruce Irvin in the first round, but then they got Bobby Wagner in the second round and Russell Wilson in the third round. So, I mean, the Seahawks are, known to draft well in the later round so first round pick for a guy like jamal adams who is already arguably one of the best safeties in the league and is only 24 years old i mean i think it was great that the seahawks made that trade and also with this 
upcoming college football season. I mean, in jeopardy with the pandemic and not knowing if there's going to be any games, I would honestly trade my 2021 first round pick. If it means getting Jamal Adams, just because if there's no games that are being played, like they're still going to have to draft. Like you saw in the MLB this past season, they had a five round draft still of players coming out of college, even though there was only like a month of college baseball that was played. If that, so with college football, if there's no season being played, I mean, these guys are still going to get drafted like the Trevor Lawrence's Justin Fields and stuff like that. But it's like later down uh, in the later first rounds, like that's when you really need your scouting to figure out who's going to be a cornerstone of your franchise. And with this whole pandemic in college football, I don't know if they'll be able to find a stud like that. And you talk about, you, you talk about the Seahawks not being like popping off, like as far as, you know, draft picks. I mean, the problem with the jets is like, if they find like a guy that they like, he doesn't really stick around all that often. <laughs> and so, so the thing is, is that the jets have had talent on their roster and they just can't keep a hold of it. And I think one of the biggest reasons that everybody's kind of like pointing at that for this instance is Adam Gase, because you look at what Adam Gase was for Miami as a head coach. And when he came there, he had a plethora of talent. I mean, he had so much talent there that made them a viable candidate to at least maybe compete for a wild card spot. But then all of a sudden, players start to get shipped left and right. And now he comes in. To, and the first thing that the first thing that made me kind of like apprehensive about the Adam Gase signing was when he came in and there was rumors already that he wanted to trade Le'Veon Bell. And I was like, Le'Veon Bell just got to New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the man just got there. And now all of a sudden you want to trade him? So I was like, that didn't bode well. So I think that the, the, the biggest thing is that the Jets just don't have an identity. So, I mean, you were talking about like in our first episode together – uh, episode 24, how this was the Jets' time and to seize it. And I was telling you, like, look, they're a team in limbo. They have no identity, especially on the offensive side where Sam Darnold seeing ghosts, really no offensive uh, line, don't have a, a whole lot of weapons to work with. So they're a team that's still trying to figure it out. I mean, their quarterback situation is still up in the air. Their head coach, I, I don't even know if he can even do anything as far as uh, get this team together. And then defensively, like Adams was the cornerstone and the guy. But overall, I think like this team just had like so many different question marks. And I felt like paying him, paying Jamal Adams, that is, was not going to just be the solution or be the thing to, in order to make him just magically be happy. He was doing whatever he possibly could, I think, to get the hell out of New York. And well, I think gotta- New York dug themselves in that big hole in the first place. My, my whole thing was, I feel like within the last month, or maybe month and a half, I think that's when he, the Jets really started digging themselves in the grave. And that's when Jamal Adams kind of figured out that, okay, now I, I have the leverage and I can kind of poke the bear like what you were saying and, you know, really force the Jets hand to, into trading me. Otherwise, I'm gonna, just going to screw up the locker room, like you said. But, I mean, for the Jets, I think they might have just pressed the rebuild button. I mean, they won 7-9 last year. But if you look at them on paper, they're a decent team still. They got Bradley, Bradley McDougal, who isn't a bad player. No. But, I mean, on paper, they still – they don't necessarily seem like they're going to win their division. But they're a team that can either be a complete bottom dweller in the NFL or a team that can be the cusp of making the playoffs. And so, that's that's why I said that's one of the worst things you can be <laughs> in any league, not even just the NFL, but you don't want to be in the middle. Because I remember a few years ago where, like, the Chicago Bulls, there was rumors of them, like, trading, trading Jimmy Butler away, but they decided to go forth with Jimmy Butler, Rajon Rondo, and D. Wade, and they made the playoffs. They got uh, – Hey, they, they could have won that first series. They could have won that injured. first series against uh, the Celtics, but they didn't. And it's kind of like, okay – what was the point of this season? <laughs> and, I, and you know, so I, I figured, like, look, I get it. Every single year, every team, their main goal is to go and win a Super Bowl. But at the end of the day, you have to be realistic. 
and you have to understand, like, okay, what direction is this team going in? Where are they headed? And 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 this obviously is a good move for the Seahawks, but the reason that I'm looking at the Jets' perspective is that the Seahawks giving up what they gave up, it, it it's and especially you look at the fact that like with Jadavian Clowney not resigning in the previous trade where they gave up Frank Clark, it, it just makes me think like the Seahawks obviously understand they were so dominant when they had the Legion of Boom, but also they had a pass rush and they had one of the best pass rushes in the NFL when they were in their prime. So I think, I think yes, Jamal Adams is going to maybe help out with that. And, but at the end of the day, uh, this is maybe like the type of trade that a lot of people would have more so expected a team to have made for Khalil Mack when he was still on the Raiders. Yeah. Well, I want to take it back real quick to the jets and you talking about them having a bad identity, but I mean, having Jamal Adams, like you said, brought Le'Veon Bell on board, right? So, I mean, right. the only way your team gets better is to get Have free talent. agents yep. or to draft players. I mean, that's that was my whole argument with keeping Jamal Adams to try to lure in free agents to become better. But, I mean, we all saw how that spiraled out of control. Because he didn't want to be there. <laughs> but since we already talked about pretty much the Jets' future and what this trade kind of meant for them, let's talk about the Seahawks now. I mean, the Seahawks already had a dominant season last year going 11-5. Should have been 12-4, and I think. They should have won the division if the rest didn't screw them in that last game against the 49ers at touchdown, but we're not going to get into that. But, I mean, given the season that they had last year, now bringing in Jamal Adams, does this make Seattle a Super Bowl contender or even a favorite to win the Super Bowl? I think so. I think that it puts them in the in the, the conversation as far as, um what one but I will say this one of the things though is yes Russell Wilson is a great is is great but um he obviously needs help as far as like the running game cuz I I remember last season Chris Carson good player but he had like some games where he was up and down and same thing could be said about Rashad Penny and like the run game was very inconsistent. And once they all got hit with injuries, that's obviously when they decided to bring in Marshawn Lynch. But I, I just think that if maybe uh, they, they could, like, I mean, obviously they have Metcalf, they have Lockett, but I'm just curious to see like, they, I don't know, like maybe if they had just like another guy, like as far as like wide receiver wise or another weapon that was like a legitimate weapon on the offensive end, I would say definitely you could pencil them in as a top five, you know, contender to win the Super Bowl. But I think for sure with the way that the NFC West is set up currently right now, they're the favorites to win that division, no doubt. Um, I mean, I'm not going to just, you know, disregard the other teams but looking at the way that they already were in the Seahawks what they added and now what they got in this trade it's hard for me to not pencil them in as the front runners and the favorites to win the NFC West yeah I mean I think before this they were contenders before this entire trade they were so contenders but I think after this trade did make them possible Super Bowl favorites I mean they added Greg Olson they added Carlos Hyde to the offense and I mean they're, mm -hmm. they're getting Will Disley back from injury and then on defense they drafted Jordan Brooks they brought back Bruce Irvin who I think could possibly have kind of that Jamie Collins effect that the Patriots had on Jamie Collins like he was a beast when he was there he knew he was good so he went to Cleveland and then he basically shot the bed over there and then came back to Patriots and then he was one of the defensive player of the year candidates. So I think Bruce Irvin might have that effect on the Seahawks this year. So he'll kind of fill some of that void that they're losing in Jadeveon Clowney. But I, I think they're for sure locked for the playoffs. Like you said, they're probably going to win their division. Barring any injuries, of course. Right. But, you know. And But I think this trade just put themselves as a top three favorite in the NFC to win the Super Bowl. I mean, you have the Saints and the Bucks, and I think the Seahawks. I wouldn't really put any other team above the Seahawks other than 
I mean, I don't even know if I'd put the Saints and Buccaneers on top. I would say they're all like kind of on an even level. On an even level, yeah, yeah. yeah but I mean, other than I mean, that, like I in, the, in the in the NFC, uh, there are like some teams that are like kind of like on the bubble of like maybe they can take that jump, but you're not sure. Like the you know Minnesota Vikings, um, the Rams are kind of like that way. Like they're kind of like iffy. You're not too sure. Maybe even the 49ers, you could say the same thing about them. But uh, as far as, like, the teams that I think a lot of people are looking at to represent the NFC, you I would say Saints, Bucks, and then, yeah, now Seahawks, yeah. And I kind of already had that order somewhat set up like that. Uh, not, like, as far as, like, you know, exactly like that, but those three teams, no, no order specific, but those three teams, Saints, Buccaneers, and Seahawks, were the three that I kind of already were thinking of of being in that conversation in that I had, mix. I had the Seahawks like a tiny tier below them, but now this trade just pushed them up in that same tier with them. And yeah, I mean, also yeah. with the 49ers, not to knock the 49ers at all. They're losing they're, Emmanuel Sanders. I think just losing Emmanuel Sanders, but I mean, and then the whole Raheem Mostert thing that's been going on. But I mean, other than that, I think, and then obviously them uh, trading Matt Brietta away, but I still think that they're still solid. The, yeah, the, the 49ers yeah. so don't don't sleep on them because their defense is still I'm not, they had a good draft too yeah and i'm not sleeping on them it's just like i'm just curious to see because we've seen when teams have gone to the super bowl win or lose it's been tough for them that next season uh i'm thinking of like the falcons and i'm thinking about um the panthers and just so many different teams that have had great seasons and dominant seasons a year ago and in the following season, it's like, whoa, what the heck happened? So I'm not saying that's a guarantee to happen with San Francisco, but would I be shocked if they have a little bit of a regression? Uh, no, <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Because like we said, like Emmanuel Sanders, I think was like a serious big loss for them as far as one of their offensive weapons. But overall, I think that a lot of pressure is going to be on the shoulders of Jimmy Garoppolo this season. And I think that, there's one thing for sure when you look at the NFC West, just as far as quarterback-wise, the Seahawks never really have had to worry about Russell Wilson. I'm not saying the dude plays every game, lights out, and just you know dominates every game, but there's a reason that this man continues, despite who's ever on the roster, able to at least get them, if not in the playoffs, he's in the conversation. <laughs> the Seahawks right. in the conversation. And so now – when you put talent around him, it makes it just it, it reminds me yet again of when you had the Legion of Boom. Like the Legion of Boom was just like dominant and a, a great defense, a historic defense. And I think Pete Carroll is kind of somewhat understanding that yeah, I have a talented Hall of Fame, legendary QB, but he needs help and he needs help on both ends of the ball. Like, you know, for mm -hmm. so long, people talked about, like, the offensive line help. But, I mean, like, it's not like the defense was locking up things. So, <laughs> they were yeah. getting scored on, too. So, And just to interrupt you real quick, actually, about Raheem Mostert and the 49ers. Uh, it's just in that Adam Schefter just tweeted that the 49ers and Raheem Mostert restructured their contract. So, there'll be no trade or holdout. So, that's really good if news if you're a 49ers fan. If you're a 49ers, even what, yeah, exactly. Even what he did in the playoffs last year. I mean, he said that the contract has plenty of extra incentives there's no new year new years on the deal so it's still a two-year deal but um he's due two and a, about two and a half million base salary with a three hundred thousand dollar bonus so about 2.75 million dollars in contract per year which is for who was a third string running back at the time and went undrafted i mean that is not bad at all so yeah so if you're a 49ers fan it's a big sigh of relief but out of everything, everybody involved in this trade, I would say, like, yes, Jamal Adams is the biggest winner. But then all, at the same time, he's got the most pressure on him by far out of everybody that's involved with this trade. Because it's like now he's proved himself. Don't get me wrong. He's an all-pro safety. Like, he, he can, he, like you said, he can play in so many different positions and add so much versatility to a defense. But if he like comes to Seattle and doesn't perform at the same level or he gets just like turned 
inside out into a totally different player, it's going to be looking as if like, hey, the Jets might have came away the victors here. But I think that also when with him on the Seahawks now, he has a lot better uh, supporting cast than he of did course, on the Jets. And course. just in the defensive back perspective, because the Jets had no corners whatsoever. But I mean, oh. over here he has <laughs> yeah. uh, Shaquille Griffin. He has he um, he has Quandre Diggs. He has Trey Flowers. So, I mean, the he has way better supporting cast, and then obviously, I would say. I think anybody would say that Bobby Wagner is also better than CJ Mosley. Yeah. So I, I think that, yes, he will have a lot of pressure, but I think he will live up to that pressure just because he's done it for so long. On a bad team. On a bad team that now he's on a good team. I don't see why he would all of a sudden just drop off. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I think that uh, it's a good, it was a good trade. And I think that it, it spoke volumes to the directions that both of these teams we're currently in and heading in because I feel like the Seahawks wanted to get back into that Super Bowl conversation. And why would you not? Because you have Russell Wilson and I'm not saying like, you know, uh, he's, uh, he's in the same category of Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers as far as age wise or in the same situation, but Russell Wilson, you need to take advantage of having this man on your roster and having this man on your team because for so long, uh, the Seahawks and even previously we saw with the Chiefs, they didn't have like uh, 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 this level of talent at quarterback. And so now that you have it, won't you, shouldn't you maximize every single sort of asset that you have in order to build a great team, a Super Bowl contending team around him so that, yeah, every season it's Super Bowl or bust. <laughs> we, we're mm-hmm. going for a Super Bowl or bust because it's like, why are we not going for a Super Bowl when we have a quarterback in Russell Wilson? Right. All right, let's move on. We got NBA news, uh, some, some funny some news. bubble news. And, bubble uh, news. I don't know if you it's, – it's funny and it's serious too, but uh, Clippers guard Lou Williams left the bubble on an excused absence to attend his family friend's father's funeral. But yeah. while away from the bubble, he was caught in a picture posted by rapper Jack Harlow of the two of them at a strip club in Atlanta called Magic City. Lou Will claims that he was just there to pick up some food because it was his favorite <laughs> restaurant. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. It was his favorite restaurant, and he is a regular there so much so that he has a dish named after him over there. All right. But All after, right. Uh, All right. Jack Harlow posted the picture. He then deleted it after. But Lou Will is under a lot of scrutiny now from teammates, coaches, and fans as well. Um, he's back in the bubble right now, but he will be serving a 10-day quarantine, which means he will miss maybe two or three games. And the NBA is undergoing an investigation why he was there. So, Corey, what are your whole thoughts on this story of Lou Will? I'll say this. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, with his grandfather passing and, you know, personal reasons and all, and, you know, family matters. Uh, prayers up for him and his family, you know, and just I hope that his family is all right because I know that a death in the family is always uh, a difficult situation. And now, even now, some so it's 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 hard now because for those who can't get to the funeral or they're not able to to get to the the services, it's 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 difficult because of COVID. But so just keeping you know that in perspective. But overall. When I heard about the news and I saw the picture of him and Jack Harlow, I was like, I can no longer refer to Lou Will as Lou Will anymore. This man is Lou Wild. He is Lou Wild for sure now. He is officially going to be known as Lou Wild to me. Because how in the world do we go from going out of the bubble for a funeral to somehow, some way, ending up at Magic City? <laughs> I mean, I want to. I want to say I'm surprised, but I'm not at the same I'm time. Not, because this, because this guy had two girlfriends and was publicly known that he had two girlfriends. Yeah, like that. That's the type of guy Lou Will is. Look, look. My whole thing is that's Lou. I think. It, I mean, yeah, get your food, whatever the case may be. But if you're in the bubble and you know what is at stake, like, why are you going and doing that? Like, it, there, there's things called Postmates uber eats like stuff like that where you can get food like that i mean obviously it's not gonna be the same but do you not realize like 
that going to strip club, how sus that looks just to be like, yo, and, I was and at a strip like, club like to get said, food. Like, come yeah, on, man. Exactly. That, that just looks exactly. sus for the entire public. Yeah. And it's not even like you could say, so if he went to just go get food, right? Let's just say go to get food. Why are you posing in a picture with my dude? Right. <laughs> Why are you posing in the picture? Because it wasn't like he was like looking down or like caught off guard or the dude just like snuck a photo and like posted or whatever. Dude is posing like he's posing in the picture. So yeah. he's clearly, you, you know, know what Lou Will said yeah. by, by this, by this whole uh, trip to Magic City, he basically said titties over titles. <laughs> Lou Wilde, man. Lou Wilde. So, I mean, look, look, look. The thing that I love about Lou Wilde is the fact that he's been six-man, feels like, almost damn near every year. And I would say he's the greatest six-man in NBA history. It's Most bench points? For like I from mean, a from a bench player in NBA history, three six men of the year, the most tied with Jamal Crawford. I mean, I would on. have to do some research, but I mean, he's definitely he's definitely up there as far as six men. I mean, though, on but, a team with Kawhi and Paul George, he's he adds, eighteen a game. Like I said, he adds. He's so like his. There was even conversations he might not even play because he was thinking potentially about opting out. But mm-hmm. now that he's even involved with. The Clippers, he just adds to their chances of potentially winning their first title in NBA history. And so I just think that this 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 move was because <laughs> there's certain reasons why guys are like six man or guys are like 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 I think of like the J.R. Smiths and the the uh the uh the Lance Stevensons and this is this is in that that category of move and it's like this is this is why if if you were a team and like you had like a star player like you know or if you had like this is your your best player it's probably a reason why you're not going that far all right so i'm gonna give you three scenarios right now and you're gonna rank them one through three okay okay lance stevenson blowing on lebron james ear in the middle of a game jesus jr smith throwing soup at an assistant coach oh my god and third is Lou Williams going to a strip club in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> from worst, from the worst being number one, what are you ranking those three? Okay, I probably would say Lance Stevenson is probably the last one, and it's like I, I, I honestly would put Lou Lou Wild up as the as the worst because out of all out of all of those. The JR, the JR one. I mean, there's so many things with JR. I mean, I, you know, can, I was gonna say I, I didn't even that's, pick the, that's, the yeah, NBA you Finals even, one. Look, you didn't even pick the NBA Finals one. You didn't pick recording during the pandemic. Not even that, or or the, the one where he, the one where he's dapping up Jason Terry on the sideline. Exactly. Like this, look, look, the, cat- the, look, the catalog, the catalog for JR Smith. I feel like is is just wow, but majority of that stuff was on the court or affiliated with you know basketball i mean yeah he did have a situation where he just beat the living daylights out of a kid oh, <laughs> yeah. throwing the brick yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus so Christ. but 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 like i said all that all that didn't go to a strip club during the pandemic so look that's why i have to rank lou wild as the worst out of those three because it's like dude not only are you putting yourself at risk, you didn't, it's not like he was, I don't, let's say that nobody found out and he just did this and went about it and was trying to come back into the bubble. Do you think he was going to tell his teammates? Do you think he was going to tell Doc Rivers? Do you think he was going to report this to Adam Silver and snitch on himself? I'm no, not, he wasn't like going to tell nobody. So that's my thing is like it, it just comes across as being very, very irresponsible. Exactly. And not and even it like I'm because I'm sure like when players leave the bubble, obviously they go get food course. from outside. So I of mean course they go it, do it, their it's, thing. I'm not I'm not knocking him for doing what he did. Nah, I'm talking in the that's way not that, the, thing. the way that he did it. The way it looks is bad. The exactly. But it's it like bad. it's like, dude, social media is just a giant thing right now. Even if Jack Harlow didn't post it, I'm sure someone would have taken a picture. Like you saw exactly. the picture of Kawhi Leonard at a strip club and how that blew up oh, that yeah, one picture. Like, exactly. So I mean like something like that, like if someone caught Lou Will doing that, like just randomly, I mean, 
that's bound to happen. So it's like, you just got to think this shit through, but all right, let, let's, let's move away from like Lou will and his, his decision he made, but let's talk about more about what this means from the Clippers going forward. Cause he's going to miss at least two games. If uh, with this 10 day quarantine of their, from their eight seeding games. So I mean, that's already a quarter of the games right there. And we know every game counts with these eight games, and especially the big one going to be against the Lakers on Thursday. And then, day, when you talk, so. and, then, and then when you talk about the fact that the Clippers, this entire season, the main thing, it's been, it's been two things that have been a big concern with the Clippers. Obviously, injuries and health, and the fact that they have had so little time to play with each other mm-hmm. to develop the chemistry. So it's like, dude, we really don't need you missing time or not being available if you can help it. Now, it's one thing if you contracted COVID or if you got an injury or did something that had that was not your fault and it just happened because, you know, unfortunately, life is life. But if you can control not doing this or not putting yourself in certain situations, that would be a major help to the team because <laughs> yeah. at the end of the day, History is on the line. History could be made. You have the chance to win your franchise's first NBA championship. And not only that, you could solidify your resume and your career and win your first NBA championship. So it's like, dude, like. And even with like Lou Will came out and said, like, even after the first scrimmage that he played, he he scored 20 points in like 18 minutes. So he was balling. He led the Clippers in scoring. But he even he himself came out and said, like, We've been working out constantly this entire offseason, but I was gassed when we played this first scrimmage. And that just kind of goes to show that game speed is different from working out and everything. And like you said, they've had no time to mesh, especially with the midseason acquisitions of Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson. I mean, those are two big role players in that team. So, I mean, it's all meshing. And not to even mention that Montrez Harrell's been out. He, he had family emergency. Uh, Zubak wasn't there uh he just, yeah Zubak just got back to the Zubak moment. just got back Montrez Harrell came back I think on Friday uh Patrick Beverly just got back on Sunday so I mean those are all four really key players in that rotation for the Clippers and that's why I think now I mean I said the Clippers were gonna win just because uh, Avery Bradley opted out and if if the Clippers had their whole team but now I'm looking at it like no Lou will it's I the, the Clippers are still going to give a fighting chance, but I might have to give the edge to the Lakers now. Like it's tough. And then going yeah. even into the game against the Pelicans, like Zion's back, he's back in the bubble. Yeah. He's on four day quarantine. Yeah, I mean, you never know what's going to happen because they have a very good defensive team as well too. So it, it's it's going to be very very tough for the Clippers. Yeah, that's, this, this NBA bubble, man, is just pro- providing so much so much content <laughs> i'll say that i'll say that much this nba bubble is like like guys are just like totally forgetting that like social media exists or mm-hmm. they're totally forgetting that like yeah you know people still have phones and still can record you right but i will say the one positive is that the nba is doing a really really good job amazing job like amazing for job. the whole because i i was one of those doubters who said that i think that the nba is not gonna last but I mean, here I am. Out of, at, at, look, out of every league, I don't think I was too heavily concerned about the NBA as far as COVID because the bubble. Um, but I think the main thing I was concerned about is like how, like, not to be mean, but like how dumb are the players going to be? <laughs> that's how, right. that's the main thing I was. You, concerned you don't even about. have to sugarcoat it. There's guys. Like, walking like three steps out of a boundary to pick up Postmates and has to be quarantined for four days. Because they, they didn't realize that's like literally three steps outside of a line. Didn't realize that I couldn't line. go across to pick up my order. It's wild. It's wild for sure. And Lou Wild is is definitely uh, making some <laughs> some some crazy bubble news for sure. But hey, I still think that the Clippers, if if they can just get, that's the thing, if they can just get everybody together. There's mm-hmm. still a, a, a favorite for me it, to to not only uh, do something, but to if, if they can if they can just if get, they can get their shit together before yeah. playoffs. There I mean, you go. Say they're, it for they're, me, Chris. They're, they're, they're making the playoffs, but if, if they get their shit together it. in the playoffs, and they're the Clippers that we all know them to be, then I think we'll have some sort of normality 
with the, the, the Clippers, but right now they are far from normal. Like they are all <laughs> over the place right now. But yeah, that's pretty much going to do this episode. Appreciate y'all for tuning in. As always, make sure to follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, The Nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds. Corey, any last words? Guys, just stay safe out there. I'm just so glad that sports is back. NBA is coming back soon. Uh, can't wait for I, the I tip actually off. honestly feel like the NBA is back. Like, these scrimmages are legit. Yeah, and, like, the funny thing about it is, like, just, like, the different elements to it, like, the celebrations, like, <laughs> when, like, the, uh, the the 76ers were hitting free throws and, like, the bench all stood up. Wait, wait, I completely forgot to mention. Can we mention Ben Simmons pulled up for multiple threes in a game multiple and made threes. one? It's the bubble. It's the bubble. Anything can happen in the bubble. Anything can happen in the bubble. But yep, other than that, we out. Deuces.